Wait, Caleb. <laughs> you can say it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Beer People. I'm Matt Prince. I'm Chris Horn. And we're Beer, Beer, Beer People. I don't even think I said the full word people this time. I said we are beer pull. Yeah, you did. I mean, maybe we are. It's like, <laughs> maybe we are dancer. Ooh, right? yeah. Yeah, from the, the, that song. That yeah. Song. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, whatever. Is Caleb going to introduce himself as part of beer people this episode? Nah, you know, we might. That, that, that was it. I dropped an Eminem. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, and now he's got to search for it. All right, you can look for it, pal. You can. <laughs> How was your, uh, was this weekend New York City? Did you go to Broadway? Yes, yes. Went to Broadway, saw uh, Parade on Broadway starring um, Ben Platt, uh, which was fantastic. Um, one, of the, one of, if not the best Broadway show I've ever seen. So if you are not only a beer fan, but also a theater fan, uh, run, don't walk. It's only 10 weeks. Um, it's only a 10 week run and it is just fantastic. Wow. One of the best shows you've ever seen. Yes. And you've seen a, a handful of shows. I've seen some shows and I've seen a lot of great Broadway shows and I've seen a lot of great performers on Broadway. I mean, I've seen... I mean, the actors that I've seen, William Macy, uh, Raul Esparza, uh, Elizabeth Moss, all in one show. They were all in one show together. Uh, Estelle Parsons, Academy Award winning Estelle Parsons. Um, you know, um, just like great actors doing fantastic things. Um, Brian Darcy James, who people would recognize from a bunch of things. Uh, he's been a lot of small. He's had a lot of like decent sized roles on TV and movies and was in Spotlight. He's fantastic. Great actor. Great character actor. Saw him on Broadway. Um, yeah, you've mentioned him before. Yeah, he's he's very talented. Uh, Sutton Foster, who's one of like the queens of Broadway. Saw her before. But like Ben, yeah. Platt, the, the role was perfect for Ben Platt. He's just he's a fantastic performer. Um, for people who can't put the uh, name to the face, um, if you watch uh, The Politician on Netflix, um, he's the lead of The Politician. He also was kind of like the uh, the, the nerdy um, fanboy in uh, the Pitch Perfect movies. He, you know, he ends up getting in the, uh, what are they called? The Treble, Treble, Treble Tones or Treble something, whatever the guy group is. But he ends up having like an amazing voice and gets solos and stuff. He... Uh, he he is Ben Platt and also dear Evan Hansen. You know, he was Evan Hansen. So I realized where I knew his name from. Um, you had mentioned his name the other day, and I was like, I think I know that name from somewhere. And there's this song that um Spotify fed me in a playlist like related to songs that I knew, uh, called Grow As You Go. And yeah. the artist is Ben Platt featuring Sarah Bareilles. And it's such a good song. And it I had been listening to it, and then I felt like it really captured. Uh, my relationship with Kelsey and oh, so that's become like one of our like songs uh, it's just about like growing together as you go instead of feeling stagnant kind of thing love it love it and yeah good old Ben good old Ben and you know what Chris that that uh question you know about Broadway uh perfectly leads us into today's guest because the last time I went up to New York City to, to see a show uh when I saw Into the Woods uh during the holidays I actually picked up beer from the brewery in which our guest, uh, the brewery that our guest created. Um, so really excited uh, for this, uh, for our listeners to hear this interview and to learn more about back home beer. Um, and our guest today, uh, Zara Tabatabai. Tabatabai. Um, ah, I knew I was going to mess it up. I want to <laughs> go back and do that again. If that's okay. You can do it right now. I'm just not going to edit it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's even more raw. Wait, why don't you do it? Because now I'm like not sure even I know the right one. <laughs> uh, yeah, Zara Tabatabai. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's like Tabitha, but it's yeah, Tabatabai. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when we met Zara, I like made that connection. And then I forgot that I made that connection. So in my head, 
it became something completely different. But now that I have the right pronunciation, what, what a cool interview. Um, yeah, for sure. And we, though, you did not actually go to their brewery. Correct. They do not have a brewery. Correct. Uh, and instead, like much credit to you, you figured out some of the locations where they're, where Zara, as people will hear, actually drives the beer herself to these locations, like loads up her Prius uh, and drops them off. And you found one of the stores that they sell this at. Well, I don't want to even like give myself that much credit. I actually messaged Zara and I said, hey, I'm going to be seeing a show on Broadway. Are there any shops around there that you drop your stuff off to? Like, I see there are some, but I like which one do you think would be best? Like which one will have stuff? And she gave me the name of the shop. And I went up there and they had four different, uh, four different cans, which was great. And we, you and I split them and um, I'm glad we were able to get it because a big part of um, her business model, um, which you will learn is empowering Iranian women. And, you know, the can art uh, links to that directly. I'm not going to, talk about how or whatever but it, it the cans are beautiful and um i feel like i even think i talk about it in the interview but if you want like the 360 experience which you really should for when, when you're trying beer from a new brewery her cans really give that to you um and t- tell you so much about her story in such a small package a 12 ounce can so uh just really interesting stuff um you know, not, you know, you can kind of assume by now, but Zara is Iranian of, of Iranian descent. Her parents came over here. She never was from Iran, but um, she talks about her heritage. She talks about how she got into beer, her family connection to beer. Uh, just a really interesting interview where I learned a lot about kind of where beer came from. So it, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Matt, can you remind us how did you come to discover back home beer? Yeah, I feel like we should be like cutting a check of our royalties to uh, Hop Culture. Um, so <laughs> Hop Culture, you have a check for zero dollars. All of our royalties, yeah, zero. yeah, yeah, zero dollars coming your way. Um, you know, Hop Culture has been like a gateway to a lot of different breweries for me. Um, they just they find out the good ones, not just the good ones in terms of their quality. But the good one's doing great things. Um, and I read an article about Zara. She actually had a dedicated article to herself about um, the cool things she was doing in, in Brooklyn. Um, and just about how there's this woman of Iranian descent brewing up great beer in Brooklyn in the middle of one of like our real beer, like, I, it's, it feels weird to say here, but, but like, what do you say, Chris? I was just going to say like a super dense area. Yeah. Amazing brewery. We, all, we often refer to it as like a beer Mecca, but like in this situation, I'm like, I don't know about Mecca, you know, like that's like a double meaning here. Like, like, I feel like, uh, yeah, like she's, she's in the middle of so many great breweries and she's just like carving out this really unique niche for herself mm-hmm. using, I don't even want to get into too much. Like it's, I don't want to like spoil it for anybody, but just a really unique person and a really unique story. And she's doing just really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And listeners will hear more about it very soon. Before we get to that, a couple quick things. First, um, Ramadan Mubarak to those who celebrate Ramadan, because um, that just began. We're recording this on Sunday, March 26th, and that just began a couple of days ago. Um, and one of the things people will hear is that Zara does a lot to build community, whether that's with folks in Iran uh, or the community here in New York um, and with those who consume the beer. And on a related but tangential note about building community, I wanted to tell the listeners and you, Matt, actually, about um, an opportunity to support a really cool cause. Um, Beer person Mike in Colorado, who listeners have heard of before, um, works at a really, really neat school. Um, it's a full scholarship boarding school in Estes Park, Colorado. And most of the students uh, come from lower income backgrounds and those who go on to college uh, are often the first in their family to do so. And the school 
uh, is doing a fundraiser to help raise scholarship money for uh, the students who go off to college or have expenses for their post-secondary endeavors. So, uh, and the fundraiser is like cool as hell. So you can adopt a rubber duck and the rubber duck will participate in a race down a stream and the winning rubber ducks, like I forget how many exactly there are, will get prizes. Uh, and so you can follow the results of your duck. But when you pay for a duck, when you adopt a duck, it's 25 bucks and 23 of the $25 goes to the cause that you're fundraising for. Uh, and it's happening on May 6th, the actual race. So folks have time to support if they want to. Um, and it's at EP, which stands for SS Park, epduckrace.org slash Eagle Rock School, uh, eagle-rock-school. So I thought that was pretty sweet and might be a cool thing for some folks to check out, especially if they're interested in education or uh, supporting students going to college. I think that's great, Chris. And um, yeah, really, really cool to uh, see that like very unique um, adopt a dot 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 because there are a lot of adopted dot dot dots and that's a very cool fun um, way of supporting something kind of silly but also like putting money towards a great cause so thank you for bringing that up and um, you know it's that kind of community building that our guest today you know has really um, circled her attention around in um, Brooklyn and like you said not just with um, people in Brooklyn but also um, in Iran so, you know, I feel like we should just get to it. We've, because uh, I feel like if we talk anymore, we're going to just spoil some of the interview for our listeners. So, here is our interview with Zara Tabatabai. Zara, welcome to Beer People. Thanks for having me. I'm really, I'm really glad to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you. Um, you know, we always talk about, and Chris and I always talk about this um, together, we talk about how we came upon breweries. And I'll admit the first time I even ran across uh, Back Home Beer and you was through Hop Culture's article, uh, Breweries to Watch in 2021, I believe it was. So the first time you were featured in Hop Culture. And through Hop Culture, I found a lot of breweries. Um, and it's always exciting when I see one that's so close. I mean, we're in Philadelphia, you're up in Brooklyn, but someone so close in terms of, wow, I could actually visit, I could actually enjoy their beer. So I'm thrilled that you uh, were able to join us and we can't wait to talk to you. Thanks. No, I mean, that was cool. That came out. Yeah. I think like when my first year of brewing, so it was really exciting to like get that recognition and have people from all over reach out and start to follow the journey. So I'm glad you found me and back home beer. Hell yeah. And now so many people are finding you and wondering who are you and what, uh, who is Zara Tabatabai? Did I say it right? You did. <laughs> who is Zara Tabatabai? So uh, tell us and tell the listeners. You know, I am somebody who started in beer very late. I was writing for many years and I just started homebrewing um, a couple of years ago. So I'm new to the industry. Um, I always drank beer and loved it. And I heard stories of my grandfather brewing. And so that's how I got into it. But I'm really new to the industry. So when I meet a lot of people in the beer world, they've been in it for, you know, 10 years, or they started out, um, you know, just kind of learning in the brew house and they work their right way up to head brewer, or they've opened up a brewery. They've been in the industry for 10, 20 years, but I'm pretty new to all of this. So, um, it's been great, but it's also been a huge learning process for me. That's for sure. Learning a lot on the job. <laughs> you talked a little bit, uh, just now, and just through reading uh, about you, uh, about your grandfather and um can you tell us a little bit about his brewing journey um back in Iran and how that has how that got you and how you've continued that family tradition with back home beer 
Yeah. I mean, so that was really something I heard about growing up. Um, just that he used to brew beer and that he used to make wine and we had, our family had a really big garden and he would use ingredients from the garden and incorporate things. And, um, my mom is one of four sisters and they were a big cooking family. So, you know, that's in our culture is it's all about food and drink. Um, and so he died when I was really, really young. So I only really heard the stories about him growing up and, you know, um, they had told me that, oh, he used, uh, the sumac from the garden, or he used the, he used to dry the limes out in the, in the sun. Cause they lived in Southern Iran. So it was really hot and humid most of the year. Um, so it was just things in passing that I'd heard. And my grandmother, a couple of years ago made a comment remark just in passing, like, oh, I wish I had his, you know, I wish I could try that taste again, or I wish I had that taste again. And so I was like, well, can't be that hard. Let me try and figure out how we can do this. So um, I took a couple of classes at Bitter Nesters, which is a really cool homebrew shop here in Brooklyn. And I started to brew in my apartment um, kind of during COVID. Um, and I started using ingredients like barberries and sumac and black limes and a lot of the sour cherries, things that we make in our, use in our food and things that I had heard about him using, um, to try to recreate some of those tastes. And then I would mail the bottles down to Atlanta where my family was, or I would take them with me in my check baggage and they try them and tell me what they thought. And then I would tweak them until I kind of came to what is now some of these beers that you you're trying. And you, it sounds like you did all of that while having had no experience prior and with your own full-time job, which was writing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your career path was prior to beer? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was writing, I worked at Fox news. I worked at ESPN. Um, I did a couple freelance like newspaper jobs. So I was writing. Um, and then I have a nine-year-old. So during COVID that really became part-time because it was like a lot of homeschool and remote learning and all that mess that was happening. So I had a little bit more free time and I was lucky enough to be able to cut back on my job during that time, focus on my son and his school, and then also kind of pick up this hobby. So that's how it all kind of happened. How did you get into writing? Was it always a passion of yours since you were younger? Was it more of a utilitarian thing you just found yourself being good at? And did you have any certain beats that you were in charge of following? You know, I did a lot of sports writing, um, but it really wasn't, I went to Georgia Tech. I I made, I studied business and IT, like I'm very math oriented in my brain. And so writing is like the furthest thing that I thought I would be doing, but I don't know, after I graduated and I needed to leave Georgia and I was like, I want to come up to New York. It's like a dream. And I had some family here. So I just moved up here and I kind of got the first job <laughs> that I could find, which was a cool job at ESPN. Um, and so I was, I was, I kind of just got into it, like working a little bit on the production side and learning as an intern and then getting a full-time job there and then starting to write and, um, really build the craft. And I really started to enjoy it. Um, so that was really, it just kind of something that fell on my lap, but I really enjoyed the creative side because I hadn't really explored that at all through education. My, my education was all like science and math focused. And so I thought it was something interesting and something I hadn't really explored before. It's so cool that you have such a rich uh, career um, before the beer. Um, It's taking all my might not to turn this into a hundred percent sports podcast right now (laughs) as a diehard Philadelphia sports fan and avid ESPN watcher. Now I want to know everything that you did, but I I will, I will pull back. I will not let myself (laughs) get to that point. Um, It's really exciting to me. um, And your beer is so different from uh, everyone else's. But before we dive into that, you know, we always ask those typical questions. So yes, your grandfather brewed, he homebrewed, and it became part of your family's fabric and those flavors and how they're reminiscent of home. And which is um, from reading how the name came about. And we'll talk about that as well. 
But can you talk a little bit about what were the beers that got you hooked maybe before realizing the ingredients that you could have, that you have now brought to it? What were the beers that you drank and what do you still like to drink that might influence, you know, what you brew? I mean, for me, it really wasn't a specific beer. It was, I I mean, in our home, it was always like a lager pilsner. It would be my, my parents, whatever they were drinking, which was like Peroni and, um, you know, just your class, like the not craft beer. But for me, I think what was important is that I didn't really see what I wanted to drink in the beer world. And I felt like there was something missing there. And so I kind of tried to create something new um, and something that I felt like my grandfather would be proud of and something that he was brewing back in the 60s and 70s using the ingredients that he was using. So I drank beer, but I would say that I wasn't like, there wasn't like a specific beer or taste that made me want to mimic that. You know, it was more like, creating a space. I, when I started to read about the history of brewing, I was blown away that the earliest chemical evidence dates back to what's now the Zagros mountains of Iran, you know? So like, like, wow, we're really the originators of barley beer brewing. And yet when people think about the middle East, the last thing they're thinking about is alcohol. Um, which is only because of the last 40 years, um, after the revolution. But before that, there were thousands and thousands of years of fermentation in the region, you know? So for me, it was more like creating a space and creating something new. And the beers that we were drinking were just, you know, they're Iranian immigrants. So they were buying Peroni and Blue Moon and, you know, that's what they were drinking. We didn't really know much about the craft beer world. For some folks, the story of how their family immigrated to a new place is really significant. For others, it's like, ah, that's kind of the background. Like the story started when we got here or the biggest things happened back there. Is your family's story of immigration one that has been important for you? Um, You know, I was born here, so my story did start here. But for them, they had every intention of coming here for school and then going back to Iran and raising their family there. But they weren't able to do that after the revolution, you know, so the country that they grew up in and the country it is now are two very different things, you know, so they kind of lost their home a little bit, which is a lot of people from Iran felt that way of their generation. So what they did was they really tried to continue the cultures here in the United States, and they tried to instill that in our generation. And, and I think they did a good job of that, you know. They're just keeping the traditions alive, the stories, the food, um, the music, the holidays, all of it. Um, and so that was definitely ingrained. And we we grew up in a small town in Georgia. So we kind of had to make our own little Iranian community there. Um, and so I think that they did the best that they could for sure. So I, I'm drinking your beer for, for our listeners. I'm drinking Y'all the Queen which is a Goza style ale with pomegranate Mm -hmm. and it is fantastic. Uh, The pomegranate is, it's, it's so balanced with the rest of the beer. I mean, Goza already, my mind thinks like, you know, um, sour, but not like overpowering sour, like uh, a little bit on the saltier end. That's what I always think of. And, but this is such a balanced beer, but it's not just the liquid itself. It's also, I'm looking at this beautiful can and I don't want to describe it poorly, but it's a night sky with the Yalda Queen in her crown in a, a, what looks like a red moon. Um, can you talk about kind of the story that you are that you're trying to tell with your beer? Because it does seem like it's all encompassing. It's not just the ingredients, but it's also the way the packaging looks. I'm really interested to hear about that story and and why if it was and why it is important for you to um, to bring it all like keep it like a a real um, full circle thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely important for me. It's not just what's in the can. It's also telling the stories behind the can. So Yalda is a big holiday in Iran. It celebrates the winter solstice, 
which is the longest night of the year, which is why the can is dark and black and you can see the stars. Um, and then the crown, it's pomegranate. So you know how pomegranate has a little crown on its head? That was like the crown on the woman. But because there is a female-led revolution happening in Iran at the moment, um, I called her the Yalda Queen. Like I made it a, a female, like a strong woman on the can. So it was kind of like a, a few different layers um, within the artwork. And it was designed by an Iranian woman graphic artist as well. So I try to make sure that it's the story aligns, but also the person who is creating the artwork and the creative behind it is also represents back home beer and she does. And speaking of like creating a 360, um, almost like wrap around our company embodies our values and our like family and our history. Uh, your Instagram is also a channel by which you're expressing your like back home beers views and what's important and uh, very much to your credit back home beers Instagram has been where I got a good amount of my updates on what's happening in Iran yeah and I knew that I could go there for that can you tell us a little bit about as things were surfacing over the last year plus of folks fighting for rights and justice and water and labor and um, the right to protest and, and so many other things. Um, what has that experience meant for you? And then how did you decide in what way to use your social media presence uh, during that time? Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was really important. I, I wanted people to know what was going on in Iran. I, it was a little bit difficult because I didn't want people to get turned off, but I also felt like I had a duty to raise awareness about what was going on and also um, educate people, have people come out to the protest. And for me, I just felt like I couldn't stay quiet while there is literally a female led revolution happening in the country, you know, it just wouldn't make sense for me and my mission. And also what I'm doing is beer. I mean, I'd love Iran to be free. And I have so many people who send me DMs from Iran that are like, this is amazing. I wish I could drink this. Or I have people, which is even crazier, that are making beer underground in Iran and sending me pictures of what they're making, their setups, where they get their hops. Like it is unbelievable the beer that they are making in their homes illegally. And they can get fined, they can get sentenced to death for what they are doing. But for me, that's why it's kind of like, I feel like I'm living on in the United States freely to do what I want. And I owe it to the people of Iran to voice, amplify their voices that because they don't have one, right? And I'm getting to do what they want to do. So it's like this bit of guilt too, that I just feel lucky enough that I'm here. Um, but also that I just feel like I owe it to my, my family, my culture, my people, you know, in general. And you mentioned the risk of punishment by death, which is very real. I mean, yeah. we're recording this January 30th, 2023. Mm -hmm. And in the last couple of months, more than one person has been publicly executed by hanging mm -hmm. for participating in protests. Yeah. That is a, a very real thing that I would imagine as you're being in touch with people on the ground just adds an important sense of weight to the mission that you're bringing. For sure. It definitely does. And, and children, I mean, I have a nine-year-old. These are, there are kids in prisons there that are under the age of 10. The, the people that have been executed are teenagers, you know? So um, yeah, it's hard. You can't really stay quiet when you know those types of things are going on for sure. And especially when you have a connection, there are a lot of people who follow what I'm doing from Iran. Um, and so the goal is maybe one day when it is a free country, because I think for sure it's going to happen is to take the beer there, take the recipes there, brew it there. You know, that's ultimately what I would love to do. 
Well, you've clearly been an advocate and a news bringer for um, for the people of Iran and what's happening there. I mean, as Chris said, and I can echo these sentiments, like I also get a lot of my news updates from your Instagram. But it's not just what you are doing, um, providing information about um, what's happening in that country, but you're also... Um, you've become an advocate for your your current community, which is Brooklyn, um, advocating for local businesses. Um, I know that oftentimes you'll just post about a, a restaurant that you really like or, you know, a bar that you really like because you want to share the good word and you want to draw people's attention to these other um, businesses. And then you've also partnered with East Village Loves NYC. Um, which is an organization that brings um, healthy meals to New Yorkers and underserved communities. Can you speak a little bit about how you've gone about making Brooklyn your community, not just through your your brewery, but also individually, and why you feel that 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 that's important? Why is that important to you? Yeah, I mean, it's very important. I think that, I mean, I've been in New York now for almost 20 years. Um, basically the lifeline of the city are restaurants and bars. They've really struggled in the last few years. They've been thousands of restaurants that have closed in just the last three years. I mean, it's crazy. And so I feel like we have to support each other as a community. So anything I can do, I mean, they support me and as a local business owner and I support them. And I feel like it's the only way that we can all survive in this, um, even just tonight, I was going to post about one of my restaurant accounts who has a GoFundMe because they're like about to shut their doors, you know, and I just donated to them. I just feel like, you know, none of us will survive without supporting each other. So I do think it's really important. Um, and then as far as the kitchen on the Lower East Side, that was um, from day one, I was like, I want to have some sort of social impact with back home beer. And so I partnered up with EB loves. And so, um, with every keg or can case order with restaurants and bars, I donate back to the kitchen, um, which is, um, they are an amazing group of people. They're out every week and they are making thousands and thousands of meals for people in New York city and underserved communities. They have met the buses of migrants that have arrived in New York and they have met them with warm meals and healthy meals for the families. So they're doing great work. So it's kind of like the least I can do is donate money to their cause. Um, and I feel like at the end of the day, we, we all need to help each other out. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to support uh, in your own community and in everybody's. And we've talked before on this podcast about the importance of you know, putting your dollar where you think it'll matter. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm guessing that in listening to this, a lot of people will be wondering, so that back home beer, how do I give my dollar there? Uh, and what, what kind of beer am I going to get? Can right. you tell us a little bit about, um, first, people might be thinking, I got it. Where do I Google? How do I get this on Google Maps, Apple Maps, etc.? Can you tell us a little bit about in the process of getting started? You don't have a physical location right now. Uh, how did you go about navigating like home brewing, but using other folks equipment, like getting access to industrial equipment, canning, starting distribution, and yeah. is it your plan to get a physical location as well? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people will start off contract brewing, which is what I do, um, because it's a cheaper way. I mean, just, it's basically the only financially viable way that I could get started. Um, and let people know about my brand and just kind of get a feeling and sense of how people are going to respond to it. So essentially I started homebrewing and the next step was get some sort of wholesale licensing, get everything in place for that. And then search and contact a bunch of breweries and ask if they have open tank space so that I can contract and brew there. And so that process definitely took a long time um, to get up and running. Um, but Flagship Brewery out of Staten Island is a great group of guys. And they have opened their doors to me. And I mean, it's they're amazing. I would not have made it this far without their support and without them allowing me to come in and, and brew there for sure. 
How do the logistics work? So you agree, you know, you find a temporary home, you contract brew. Do you ship your supplies directly to there? Do you bring it with you each brew day? Or do you use some of the materials that they already have and then supplement with your own? So basically I order, I order the grain, all the raw materials I order and it gets delivered straight to flagship. Um, I hand over my recipe and they kind of review it, make sure it's going to work on their system. Um, and then we set up a brew day and we brew. So after that, they also can on site. So, you know, I'll get my labels shipped there. Every I have to get everything shipped there. And so they basically brew the beer and then they package it there. And then I pick it up from them once it's packaged up. And then I am lucky enough to be able to self-distribute in New York City. So I fill my Prius with as many cases as possible and I go deliver um, the beer. So you you did mention that the goal is to have a physical space. Um, I assume, is that the bodega link on your website? Yeah. I mean, it's basically like I want my own space. I want to be able to brew whenever I want to brew. You know, right now I'm on their timetable. They're nice enough to give me tanks, but if if they need to brew and they need to increase volume or if there is one month, there's no space. I mean, I just, I don't have a place to brew, you know? So um, I want my own space. It'd be easier to experiment with different recipes. Um, And also I want a place where I can invite the community to come and I want to offer Persian street food with the, with the beer. You know, I just want to create a, a space for people to come who have supported me over the last, you know, 15 months since I launched Back Home Beer. See, that sounds great. Uh, especially, you know, I'm we're, we're big food fans and Persian street food sounds fantastic. But <laughs> if you could elaborate a little bit more. So when you get the fiscal space, and I'm sure you've thought about this, um, what, what do you want that space to look like? Like it, when you walk into back home beer, what do yeah. you want your patrons to feel, see when they enter those doors? I really just want it to be like Tehran meets Brooklyn. Like that is what I want the vibe to be. I would love a beautiful bar that is built with like, uh, Persian tiles um, to be kind of the focal point, um, you know, the archways, like they have in a mosque, like just kind of quintessential, um, architecture from Shiraz and from Tehran and Iran. But I also want it where it's like, it meets Brooklyn. So it's a bit edgy. It's still industrial. Um, but that's, you know, I have kind of a vision in my head and that's how I see it. I mean, count us in. We will will be there. (laughs) And uh, I'm tearing through, Matt already got to mention his back home beer that he has. I'm tearing through my Persian blue lager with blue salt. It is fantastic. Thank you. you. uh, And we spoke before the recording. um, You were mentioning that I happen to have the two beers that you like the most or Mm -hmm. you enjoy brewing, you know, at the top. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about what are your favorite beers to brew and why are those your choices? I mean, I would say Persian blue, the one you're drinking is by far my favorite. It's, it's, um, you know, a lot of people in the middle East will put a pinch of salt in their lager or Pilsner before they drink it. My dad still does that. A lot of people in my family do, do that. They feel like food, you know, how salt brings out the flavors of the food, Uh, They feel like it does that in beer, that it just brings out the best flavors. And so this one is called Persian blue. I bring this beautiful rock blue salt directly from Iran and Semnon. It's got an earthiness to it. It's mild. Um, The minerality is different. And so I throw that into the boil. And so I really feel like it brings out some wonderful flavors in the beer. Um, it's unfiltered. It sits in a proper like horizontal lagering tank for about six weeks. Um, and I would say that's, you know, that one's like an homage to my grandfather and that's definitely my favorite beer. And I did a, we did like so many home versions of that one before we landed on this recipe. And then even to scale at flagship, I've brewed 
this beer the most. Um, so I feel like it's really just perfected. Um, and you know, the, the water in New York city, we make the best bagels. The water makes great beer. So you really can't, you just can't beat it. And with a lager, you can't, there's no room for error, you know? So I, I really feel like it's a great beer. Um, the sumac that you have is my second favorite. Um, it's a favorite among also people who aren't beer drinkers. I think that a lot of wine people and cider people love that beer. Um, I use close to a thousand pounds of sour cherries. I use sumac, um, which is cured, a cured sumac. So it's packed in salt. Um, and so I really didn't have to add additional salt to that beer, but yeah, those two are my favorite. They're my core beers and they're the ones that I sell the most and they're in the most restaurants for sure. So you're in Brooklyn, which many people would argue between Brooklyn and then Queens, Astoria, that you're like in the brewery hub of the United States, maybe even the world right now. I mean, so close to you, you can make such a tour of, you know, whether you're going to other half or threes or Innerborough or KCBC or Grimm. Um, I mean, the uh, folks beer, like you could just keep the list just keeps going single cut, you know, I'm drinking on my single cut glass <laughs> that I got that I got when I went to uh, New York City years ago on a brewery tour. What is it like being so close to so many, um, for lack of better words, hype breweries? And how does it or does it make you want to keep brewing and getting better, um, you know, to just be part of that? What does that do to you as a brewer being around such amazing breweries? I mean, I think that definitely it, for me, I feel like it just, you, you really just have to make sure that your quality is up there, that you are able to stand with all the great, amazing breweries that are just right here in Brooklyn. On the other side of it, every one of the places that you've mentioned are really supportive and helpful and have reached out and offered ways to help me, whether it's like, Hey, bring your kegs over here and we'll wash them for you. You don't have a home. So it's like, I, you know, I took my beers over to Grimm or I took them over to five boroughs and they helped me wash them. You know, like it really is an amazing beer community here. Um, and they've been super helpful and supportive. And I also have kind of been able to see um, behind the scenes of what it takes to be successful and spend time at those breweries. They've given me tours. They've taken me back and kind of told me like, all right, this is what we would have done differently. So this is what you should do, you know? So I feel like it's, it's only helped. It's only helped for sure. I really quickly want to mention Talea and uh, Evil Twin as well, because I last time I was in New York City, I went to the two of them and they were both fantastic as well. So I don't want to yeah. forget to mention them. <laughs> fantastic breweries and making great beer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, that must be exciting to be around so many great breweries. And I can only imagine it makes you a better brewer because, sure. of course, as we've a lot of our guests have said, you know, it's such a giving and welcoming community. Uh, the brewing community that is. And when, you know, oftentimes people are getting supplies from each other. Oh, we're out of cans. We're out of this. What do you have? And it, it always seems like it's a, oh, there's always someone to help, which is always really, really nice. It's so true. It really is. I mean, I didn't know until I was really in the mix, but, and maybe I, I don't even know if I would have thought that way about it. You know, like, I'm not sure what I thought. I didn't, I didn't know that it would be like this, but they really are supportive they're excited about somebody bringing something new to beer um and I get messages from them all the time like oh I just tried you know your sumac it's great and and it's all just been like all love so it's really good it's it's been a great experience so far that's awesome to hear about the camaraderie and yeah. I'm thinking back a couple uh subjects now but combining it with with the one that we're on uh as someone somewhat new to beer, um, I was mentioning to you and some listeners will remember, I only started drinking beer in 2018. So I'm still kind of the newcomer on the block. But ever since then, Matt has been trying his hardest to get me into lagers. And lagers <laughs> were the one of the lowest things on my list uh, when I started. And they've slowly been rising, rising, rising. And just the other day, 
I was asked, what are my favorite types of beer? And I still mentioned my original three, which are sours and like big stouts and big IPAs. And then I said, dark lagers are my fourth favorite. And it was a a seminal moment for me. And it uh, reminded me though, thank you, Matt is applauding uh, for those who can't see it. Reminded me though, that about a year ago, when we were talking to our first guest, John Paradiso, um, he mentioned, uh, we talked about a phrase called year of the lager. And Mm -hmm. I've heard people say that since I started drinking beer and it keeps coming about, but I, I think we're closer to it actually being the case now. Uh, yeah, do you have a stance on the year of the lager? I mean, I feel like it's, I mean, it's the decade of the lager or the century of the lager. I mean, that's what I feel like that's just what beer is and what it's supposed to be, you know? So I feel like for me, you just always have to go to the classics. Like that's why they're classic because I really feel like they're done well, they're clean and there's no, you can't make any mistakes in a lager. And so it's, it's the truest form of beer. (laughs) A brewer's beer. It's a brewer's beer. It definitely is a brewer's beer for sure. Yeah. I agree. I agree with Matt for sure. Yes, yes, loggers are the he best. He threw his hands up as if he scored a touchdown. Well, <laughs> I, I think I did. I mean, yeah, the decade yeah. literally I, did. Well, because <laughs> I mean, the way I see it is like if you keep if every year we keep saying this is the year of the logger, this is the year of the logger, or we're asking that question, I think that's telling us that it's not the year of the logger. It, it it's been the year of the logger. Yeah, it's continuing to be an industry of logger. Mm-hmm. Um, the more logger you see on the shelf. You know, the more people who are brewing, you know, Dunkles and the more people who are brewing, you know, even if it's a, you know, double dry hopped Pilsner, like the more Pilsners you see, I feel like everyone's finally getting on board because brewers want to brew lagers. Yeah. So now, but now it's cool. It's like now the hazy IPAs are making a little room and they're like shifting mm-hmm. over a little bit and the loggers are like, yay, we're here. <laughs> we're at the cool table. Yeah, like, but they've cool. always been here. They've yeah, always they, been here. Well, they were the original cool. They were. So they it, were. it makes it makes sense that, you know, I feel like we are we are in a an era of logger. For sure. For Which sure. Is- I completely agree. You know, I'm over the just out hopping each other and IPA and everyone just becoming so extreme in every style. And for me, I'm really just trying to stay true to what a lager is supposed to taste like and just adding a little something special. Even you'll see in my sumac, um, the Goza, it's not going to be super sour. People are getting crazy with that too. It's, it's meant to be tart. It's meant to be a bit dry on the finish. Um, and that's really what I tried to do, you know? So I, I like, I'm all for the classics and just staying true to what beer is really supposed to be. Now you say you're getting over the IPA, but I'm drinking the orange blossom IPA and it is fantastic. <laughs> Thank it is, you. I mean, it's got like a nice, like the orange blossom. It's kind of like got a, like a creamsicle finish, which is mm-hmm. nice. Um, but it's not in a, like an abundantly sweet way. It's got like really nice notes of orange, of floral. It's really balanced, really nice. But I'm looking at the can. What am I looking at when I look so, at the can of, of Orange Blossom IPA? Yeah, so for Orange Blossom and then the two cans that Chris has, um, those are all three part of what I call the poetry series. And that's my core beers. Um, and so they all have um, a Persian poet and verse on the can. So Chris has the sumac, which is a roomy quote. Um, you're holding back home beer. Um, which those lines go vertically, but it's an Omar Chaim quote. Um, and so yours says, be happy with the now. The translations for all of them are always on the back of the can. It's actually required by the SLA. Um, and so we've got Rumi on the sumac, Omar Chaim on the lager and the orange blossom. Poetry is big in Iran. So, you know, it was a diff- it was a way to like highlight Persian poetry um, have the language on the can, which I thought was beautiful. Um, and, you know, kind of just put it out into the world like that. Who did you say it's required by? Oh, the SLA. So like the liquor authority. Oh, yeah. So because it's a translation. 
Yeah. So you just have to have, you know, I was surprised that they even let me put the language on the can. I thought there would be some sort of pushback, but you know, because they're very, they're very particular about what could cause like confusion of where the beer is from and this and that, but they were like, you know what, you can, you can write it on the can. You just have to have the translation on the back, which I think is fair. I mean, the cans are absolutely beautiful. I mean, yeah. and like we touched on earlier, the fact that it's really a 360 experience with your beers, because there's also the story and, um, you know, the authenticity of uh, the can design. And I read and you touched on a bit that all the can art is designed by uh, Iranian women. Yes, all of them. So the two that Chris has is an Iranian woman who lives in Tehran. Um, and then the two that you have, Matt, are an Iranian woman who lives in DC. Um, but all Iranian women, and I, I, I can, I intend to continue that way, um, or just give a space for women artists, um, whether it's anywhere within the Middle East or that region, to give them an opportunity to design a can. And we'll tag them in the show notes as well um, if they have something that's a followable. And related to the labels, I'm curious about if you can tell us a little bit more um, about where your logo comes from, and if you wouldn't mind also describing the visual of it for the listeners. Yeah, so the logo is actually um, a play on uh, the biggest uh, monument in Iran. I mean, I would say the most popular, the biggest, the most notable um, uh, monument is called the Azadi Tower. It's in Tehran. Azadi actually means freedom. So it translates to the Freedom Tower. Um, and so if you look at it, it's kind of like this huge triangle shaped structure um, right in the middle of Tehran with all this beautiful green space around it. It's actually the site of many like uprising and revolutions kind of starting. Um, and so the graphic designer in Iran, we kind of had an idea to turn that monument into a beer mug. And so that's how it kind of translated. So that's really cool. And looking at it now and seeing all the components that you just talked about is such a cool like amalgamation of such a uh Matt's important. to get the word amalgamation trending. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, such an important landmark with um with a mug of beer. Um, but can you uh can you speak a little bit? So we've we've talked now about your potential space. We've talked about the beautiful artwork of your can, the beer, the story. Um, we talked you talked to us about the fact that the beers that we have in our hands are the core beers. Mm -hmm. um what's next for back home beer uh you know what beers might be um coming up soon um have you what do you think you, maybe your timetable might be from for getting a physical space you know how do you see the future of back home beer playing itself out yeah i mean so i've got new day ipa which is our like the persian new year is in march um so that'll be coming out in uh like the beginning of march that's also an IPA. I, it came out also last year. It's kind of like a seasonal annual thing. Um, I'm going to have some, another beer come out in June. I'm testing two different recipes, um, and styles for that. So it'll be something cool and amazing and in support of a uh, gay pride month. Um, I'd love to do some sort of like revolution beer for sure in the works. So those are the few that are in the pipeline. Um, as far as a physical space, I'm in the process of raising money. So um, that's like through friends and family, some angels. I'm going to try to do some sort of like crowdfunding, you know, hit all avenues, try to raise some money so that within the next six months, I can look for a space and do the build out and everything like that. So that's the ideal timeline there. Well, as soon as you get... Uh crowdfunding going let us know we'll post the link thank you uh, because we definitely not only want to contribute ourselves but after listening to this interview i think a lot more of our listeners would also be interested in supporting you and getting you in a space and i'm telling you listeners drinking this beer um just if you're only interested in the liquid it's fantastic 
but hopefully you can you can hear and feel after listening to this interview that this is a place you want to support. This is a business. This is a brand. This is a story that you want to support. So yeah, let us know because we are we'll, we'll pump it out to all of our listeners and all of our followers. <laughs> well, I appreciate saying that. Really, it means a lot. Thank you so much. I mean, I I wouldn't have gotten this far without. I mean, it's still a one woman operation, you know. So like. I, I truly would not have made it this far without the support of the community, just p- even just individuals or people asking me to come on their podcasts. I mean, people going to the beer shops and it, it's it's just been amazing. The support and everything I needed to kind of keep me going through all of this, truly. Well, we are proud to call ourselves fans of yours and we are so excited for what is next. Uh, and we really can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. So thank you so much, Sarah. Of course. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. You know, Chris, we've talked to uh, a number of people who have varying level, uh, levels of support within their own space or within their own product. You know, we've talked to, you know, you know, Justin and Matt from Sacred Vice who open up this tiny brewery and this tiny textile mill. Um, and then, you know, they bring in Ruby uh, to brew and then all of a sudden they're moving into a new space and they're going to have more people working for them. And and then we look at um, Richie and Victory, Richie Tevlin, and he is the solo brewer, but he has a big company in Victory behind him. So, you know, he's working in this great space with all this great equipment and he's getting top of the line ingredients and he's he's got the support when he needs it, but he's got the freedom to do it all by himself. And then we have Zara, who's literally doing it like all by herself, um, you know, and she's she's brewing the beer. She's she's picking out unique ingredients that have a link to her Iranian culture ingredients that were used by her grandfather when he brewed in Iran. And then she's making this beer and, you know, yes, she's contract brewing. And a big part of that is having that support, but she's the creator. And then she takes the beer and then she's driving it around everywhere. It's, it's such like, um, it's it's so cool and then for us to be able to have enjoyed that beer during the interview and to know that it was all her like that i mean yes other people are helping brew and that's what contract brewing is but like the the ingredients and the unique ingredients that is on her and um and on top of that yeah she's a kid yeah and she's she's also like helping to promote the social cause of a woman-led revolution in a country where people are being put to death for their participation in that corresponding with people who are like underground brewing in that same country where the penalty could be death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, a lot of things to juggle, but she's so passionate about it. And she talked about like how she feels like she needs to do this, like that, that, draw to the cause because she is lucky enough to be here and doing this freely that she feels she owes it to the women of Iran, the people of Iran to support them because they aren't able to do it freely. And, you know, we're we're lucky, you know, I know a lot of times we look at our country and we think about how marginalized a lot of people still are. Um, But at, at least at the very least, someone like Zara has the freedom to, to, you know partake in her craft and um it's really cool to see the work she's doing and the work that she's encouraging other female iranians to do like the can art um which really is beautiful uh just remarkable story i'm so glad we were able to touch base with her and get her to come on the podcast because it's a story that i was so eager for others to hear um, and now, you know, people have their chance and listeners who are now listening to, you know, after the interview, you you were able to partake in this story. Yeah. And I have been really excited about like this whole season that we've been able to release. And Zara's story plays a big part in that, because looking back at some of the guests that we've had, we've had stories of immigration, stories of community building from different angles, fair chance employment. Um, how to take like social action on social media to spread awareness for things. 
And next week, listeners will be able to listen to our interview with Dave Nissen from Paddled South Brewery, which is in High Point, North Carolina, just outside of Greensboro. And his totally different take on how to build community within a town that uh, has had a lot of industry leave it. And he's trying to be part of a movement to rebuild the downtown of uh, High Point, which is known as the furniture capital of the world, uh, but is having a lot of economic struggles. And so hearing these two interviews back to back, like very similar themes, but very different uh, execution of that theme and experiences, I think will be really neat for listeners to hear. And so as always, we thank our listeners. Thank you all for taking part in this bigger community and for finding at least one new person each week to send an episode to or to encourage to follow us on Instagram at Beer People Podcast or to send us an email, beerpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or to share all of the different ways you can listen at beerpeople.xyz. So please continue spreading the word. Let's grow the pod and the listenership. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers.